Welcome to Sacrifice to Success podcast. My name is David Weaver, and I am the owner of the Forgotten Heart Project. My mission is to help others create freedom in every aspect of their life. In this season of the podcast, we are talking life, business, and what makes you feel alive. We are speaking with business owners and entrepreneurs from all over, hearing about the sacrifices, the learnings, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, and the successes that they have had in life and business. These are their stories. All right. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Sacrifice to Success. I am excited to chat and welcome Nathan Thompson today. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, you bet. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Great. Uh, so I'm Nathan Thompson, and um, I'm CEO of Assessment Systems, and I'm originally a psychometrician, uh, which means that I specialize in uh, how to develop and uh, deliver and analyze exams so that they're more reliable and more valid and provide better information about people. Uh, you know, I'm passionate. about that uh, automates a lot of the work that goes into exam development or delivery. Um, and I'm also especially interested in adaptive testing, uh, which makes uh, tests personally adapt to every person that's taking the test. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's sort of, it's learning. I looked at your website. It's like kind of AI-based technology that helps move things around. Yes. Cool. Very cool. Okay. So how did you get into this industry? And is this your first uh, foray into the entrepreneurial world, or did you do other things before that? Uh, I got in this industry uh, because of my undergrad advisor. You know, I was a psych major as an undergrad, like lots of people are, um, and I realized I didn't like the fluffy stuff like personality theories. <laughs> I was interested in applying uh, psychology to solving real-world problems, like how to select good employees, or how to make sure that people are qualified to work in a job, things like that. Um, plus, I, I um, got talked into becoming a math major by him as well. <laughs> and that helped me get into uh, the types of graduate programs I wanted to get into. And it wasn't until I was working on my dissertation when I was maybe 27 years old that I first started writing code and realized that I loved it. Um, mm. And that's how I got into this. So I never had any intention of being an entrepreneur or getting into the software world. Uh, it was something that I just fell into, you know, after I'd started my career. Okay, cool. And just out of curiosity, any, either of your parents entrepreneurs? No, uh, they were both teachers. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious. Like, this is like first generation. I'm first generation too. My parents are like not entrepreneurial in the slightest. Um, and it's just a, like a different mentality. So like when you decided, hey, maybe I, I can do this thing as a career, like, was it just like, yeah, of course I can do it. Or, or like, what were the hurdles that you maybe saw as you were moving into that world? Yeah, well, I didn't even intend for it to be a, a career. So I, I finished my uh, PhD program and I went out into the field and worked at a large corporation for a while. Um, and then my PhD advisor, uh, he had this hobby uh, company that wasn't really doing anything. And I uh, was talking about shutting it down. I was like, oh, I can help you, you know, run it, take care of it, do whatever you need. Um, and it, he said, sure, what do you want to do with it? So I started working here. Um, and that's when we slowly, organically turned it into a, a modern software uh, company. You know, mm -hmm. when I started here, we didn't have any um, online software, and that was in 2008. 
which was pretty late relatively. Um, so I said, hey, you got to take some of your software and put it online, um, implement some automation and AI and that sort of thing. Um, we started getting some clients that want to do more of it, work it out. We got larger clients um, and it turned into a multi-million dollar business. We didn't really have the goal of doing that when we started. Cool. That's the best, right? It just yes. organically happens. <laughs> uh -huh. That's amazing. So how, how big is the company now? Is it still just the two of you? Do you have multiple people working for you? And like, what does it look like? Uh, it's still the two of us as the owners and directors. Uh, we have about 30 people working for us across the okay. world. Um, and we're doing two to three million in revenue per year. Cool. Awesome. And what is your like favorite client to serve? Like who's a good, really good fit? Uh, our flagship client is the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Education. Okay. Uh, so uh, they run all the high stakes assessments in uh, the United Arab Emirates, of course. Um, their primary uh, program is the MSET exam, the Emirates Standardized Admissions Test. Um, and they use our platform to develop and deliver that. It's like their equivalent of the SAT. Nice. Okay, cool. And so, uh, and being an entrepreneur and like, obviously things went really well for you. It organically grew big, but I'm sure there were some challenges and some difficulty along the way in, in growing that team. So I'd love to hear, you know, what's one or two things that are like, oh yeah, this was a challenge that we saw. And then like, what was the lesson that you took away from that on the backside? Uh, one of the biggest challenges was losing your focus mm. uh, or losing my focus uh, in, you know, that I was really interested in improving psychometrics and assessment. Um, and my business partner and I uh, ended up working with some other business partners along the way uh, where we got off that topic. Um, and we were, you know, ended up spending time on unrelated software that really wasn't serving our clients very well. Uh, and it just lost our focus on what the mission of the company was. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage all entrepreneurs out there to keep in mind, what is your mission, both personally and the company, uh, and keep your focus on that. Cool. And what have you found practically to help do that? Oh, a lot of it is, you know, <laughs> the, uh, cliche, uh, adage of focusing on what's important, not urgent. And uh -huh. it's something I find myself fighting all the time. You know, I've got clients asking, can you do this or, you know, small questions, support, you know, escalating support questions. Um, and, you know, I have to remember to not take care of it all myself um, and let trust my team to take care of the stuff that I've prepared them to work on mm. um, and uh, be able to focus on important level types of things that the entrepreneur or the CEO should be doing. Cool. Okay. And so diving into like the, the software that you guys use, like what are some of the different ways, like if somebody was listening and they're like, oh man, I'd really love to have that to figure figure this out for my company, you know, what are the different types of things that you help people out with kind of at a, like a high level, I guess, like, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the, you know, we help with figuring out how to find good employees and that kind of thing. I think that's actually a good one to maybe speak to because it is very competitive and challenging to find like high quality uh, talent these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the way, way I describe what we do is that uh, we work with organizations that care about having high quality assessment, whether it's pre-employment or K-12 or university admissions or job skills certification and licensure. Um, you know, so we're not interested in psychology midterms at your local community college. All of our organizations are doing some kind of high quality or high stakes exams. Okay. Um, and the role of that assessment is something real important, like you said finding the, the best employees. 
Um, and there's a lot that goes into it that most people don't realize it because, you know, they think about, you know, the assessment they did as they grew up and it was just psychology midterms or fifth grade math quizzes, that sort of thing. Uh, but the work that goes into our chiropractor certification exam or uh, a university admissions exam is, is actually a lot of work. And there's, fortunately, there's a lot of best practices, scientific research and uh, documentation on what goes into that. Um, and, you know, I really like taking software and trying to make those best practices easier and more accessible uh, to people because yeah. uh, it all comes down to having good information about people. The purpose of assessment is to provide good information about people, or at least better information than we can get otherwise. Um, you know, in the employment selection space, which is something that I think a lot of your listeners and most people in the world can uh, um, relate to, it's, uh, you know, what goes into assessing a good employee, what makes a good employee, you know, there's actually multiple factors of job performance. If you look at the scientific research on job performance, it's not just a, an overarching thing. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, various task related pieces of job performance. There's contextual releases, pieces of job performance, like being a good employee or being a good team member. Um, and uh, there's different aspects of knowledge, skills and abilities that go into that. Um, there's a great article that just came out, I think in December, it was pretty recently, um, by Paul Sackett and some others at the University of Minnesota. Uh, uh, and they did a meta-analysis, so it looked at like all the research that's been done over the last 50 years about employee selection. Um, and they found that, uh, you know, two of the most important predictors were, or powerful predictors were structured interviews and job knowledge tests. Um, mm. So it's not just, you know, if you're trying to select the best employees, you don't just pick off the shelf pre-built exams on, you know, IQ um, or on what makes a good employee. A lot of it goes into defining what it is makes a good employee at your organization and then making assessments that accurately reflect that. Oh, cool. So they, they get to play an integral role in creating the actual assessment that they want. Yeah, exactly. We don't make any off-the-shelf assessments. Mm. We just work with organizations that want to make their own. So, okay. you know, Home Depot comes in and they're saying, you know, here's the skills that we really want for our employees in this role. How do we develop an assessment that uh, meets that uh, type of a need? Cool. That's super cool. So how do you, like, I know if I've taken, you know, tests before, I'm sure they're not the same as yours, but um, this tendency to, we'll say maybe overinflate your capability or your, you know, what you think you're good at, like, how do you kind of combat that sort of thing when you're doing these assessments? Uh, well, there's two aspects to that. There's non-cognitive and there's cognitive assessments. Okay. Uh, so the non-cognitive are, um, you know, like attitudinal assessments, conscientiousness, uh, are you going to be a good employee, uh, not counterproductive work behavior, things like that. Those there's, are pretty easy to cheat because, uh, you know, if you get an assessment that says, I think it's important to show up to work on time, or I think it's important to do a good job, nobody's going to say strongly disagree to that, right? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's really hard to uh, make those. Um, there are new advances in to do that, but supposedly make those types of uh, assessments being uncheatable by making what's called a forced choice assessment. Okay. Um, so that you put those two statements next to each other and you say, which one is more like you? Um, and then there's complex mathematics that go into um, scoring that. But um, the primary user of that is right now the United States Navy because they have an unlimited budget. That's not the sort of thing that's percolated down towards you know, your local marketing firm, that sort of thing to be yeah. available as an exam. Uh, on the cognitive assessment side, uh, there's certainly less opportunity to fake good is what we call it. The, uh, the psychometricians call it faking good. Mm -hmm. um, the problem there is cheating where people, you know, 
steal questions out of an exam, they put it up on the internet, and then their friends can go see it up on the internet, or anybody in the entire world can see that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why there's been a lot of uh, uh, implementation over the, an investment over the last 10 years in remote proctoring, where the people are building software platforms to watch video streams like this, um, lock down your computer while you're taking the test, and other types of technological advancements that try to protect the validity and security of the exam. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, it seems like it, it's a complex challenge to, to solve all of the you know ways people could get around it, but hopefully, you'd like to think most people are trying to answer as honestly as possible. <laughs> yes. In fact, uh, one of the remote proctoring companies I work with doesn't record the videos of all the candidates because they say 99.9% .9 of the time people are being truthful and they're just trying to take an exam and qualify. Um, so mm -hmm. they only record the video when they think somebody's cheating because it's such a small percentage. Nice. That's cool. Okay, awesome. So shifting gears back to you a little bit, um, tell me a little bit about what it's like for you and your experience in being an entrepreneur and having a life and the combination of, you know, try to, to not just work a thousand hours a week and, you know, be completely consumed. Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a struggle, as I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to. Um, I've got two young kids and I, I love to be able to spend all the time I can with them. Um, so I try to carve out, you know, it, after I, I shut down the, the computer for dinner time and spend time with them in the evening, get them to bed. And then I always find myself back in the computer because, like you said, there's always more that can be done. Uh, yeah. Answering emails, writing another blog post, uh, you know, getting in touch with some more potential clients, uh, you know, coming up with new software ideas, whatever it is. Um, it, it's a prioritization battle is, is what it ends up being, you know, and the kids always, uh, well, not just kids, but your family always takes the top priority. Um, mm -hmm. But you got to be able to uh, make sure that you carve out enough time uh, specifically for the things that matter at work. Um, so it's really important to prioritize what you have at work in terms of what's important, what's urgent and uh, what you can hand off to people. Yeah, I think it's cool that even you know, having a family and having kids actually does help with focus to some degree, because if you, if you don't, then you won't ever get to spend time with your kids. So it like yeah. helps you like keep that lens and, and that sort of like urgency too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it, I could, there's something that I could do. Like I could write blog posts all day because I just love writing about the topics mm. I'm passionate about, uh, but yeah. I have to keep my, <laughs> keep myself from doing that. Cause otherwise I'd spend the whole week doing that. Nice. How old are your kids? They are six and nine. Oh, same as me, six and nine. Where's no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. They're still young enough that they want to spend time with me. And uh, you know, yeah. it's getting towards the end of that period. So I got to be really careful. They think you're, they still think you're cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, cool. Well, um, Nathan, tell me what makes you feel fully alive? Oh, uh, Professionally, the thing I love most is uh, writing code for uh, new mathematical applications, you know, coming up with a new way to analyze test questions or a new way to make a test be adaptive, uh, that sort of thing. I can, I can get lost for days in that type of code. Um, personally, for, for me, it's mountain biking. Um, I love cool. being able to, yeah, be out on the trail and it just feels so alive. You, you can't think about work or anything because you're probably going to end up clipping a tree. You got to really yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, man, I think it's so cool, like how different human beings are wired because you saying like the thing that really makes you feel alive is writing code for math. Sounds like the worst possible way I could ever spend an hour of my time. 
psychometricians are very unusual rare people <laughs> but i love that that's what's so cool about the world and just everybody having their different thing and different personality and yeah it's, it's awesome mm -hmm. cool all right. Well, thank you so much for uh, your time today, Nathan. What, where can people find out more information about you and your company? Uh, well, company's uh, website is assess.com. So I welcome anybody to check that out too. I'm easily found on LinkedIn at um, Nathan Thompson ASC. You'd be able to uh, find me searching for it or under psychometrics. I'm also on Twitter at, at adaptive testing. Um, and anybody that's welcome to contact me if you have any questions about what goes into quality assessment and helping find uh, better information about people. Awesome. Okay. And what's one last thing you'd love to share when it comes to being an entrepreneur? Like what is one more piece of wisdom that you've learned that you'd love to share? Oh, trust yourself. You know, if you've got a feeling about something, whether it's a business partner or, you know, potential clients or a deal or a new product, whatever it is, you know, sit down and think about your feelings because there's probably something underneath it that you should listen to. Awesome. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, Nathan. Yep. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to Sacrifice to Success podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please check out the link in the show notes and you can find all of the details there. If you got something out of this interview, would you please take a moment to share on social media? You can just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to somebody or post it on the socials. Let's see if we can change the narrative of social media and post valuable, positive content. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me. If you'd like to know more, go to my website, davidweavercoach.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Those links are also in the show notes. And I do also have a free training on my website as well. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.